And Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, so that we could come this morning and really focus on you, Father, really bear down on who you are and be able to learn about you in a way that it's not just hidden knowledge, but is something that we experience, something that we know, something that we feel, something that we have, a relationship that's real and meaningful every day of our lives. Father, we pray this morning that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit here, Lord, equipping, encouraging, challenging each of us to return to the hope, return to the hope that is in you and you alone in our world. And Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. How'd you guys get in here? Front door was open. Weren't you guys in school? We did what you told us. We stuck it to the man. Forget about what I told you. Look, I'm a loser, okay? You listen to my advice, you'll end up like me with nothing. Come on, man. Quit goofing around. This is serious business. We're on a mission. One great rock show can change the world. Look out the window. No way. That is so punk rock. Diamond table six fourteen. No insert. What's going on? We've got some rocking to do. What would happen if one idea could change our lives? What would it take and what would that idea be? What if one morning we woke up, not like Jack Black in you know, our tidy whities and in a stupor there, but uh, what would happen if we woke up one morning and there was an idea, a hope that came into our lives that changed our perspective? Well, today we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to do uh, something unusual. We're going to actually talk from the book of Lamentations. I know that we do that, you know, all the time in our churches, uh, but that's okay. Lamentations is a great book, as most of the books in the Bible are, and so we're going to have a chance to talk about that. But in the movie clip today, we see hope begin, hope start, a return to hope, and uh, that's our series. That's what we're going to be working on, and uh, so we're going to talk about that here this morning. Return to Hope is our Easter series. We do hope every year. And uh, let's talk about this. This year we're going to do our, our four-week series is on people of hope. What we're doing is for the first two weeks, this week and the next week, is that we're looking at different people within the Bible who experience a return to hope in their lives. And, and by taking hold of this hope, that it, was able, it enabled them to really be the person that God intended them to be. Now, our strategy is this. Let me just even mention this because um, every year we do this series on hope. And um, it's easy for us to forget what hope means in a biblical context, right? Because we say, I hope the Raiders will win. I hope the 49ers will win, right? And we know that's never going to happen. It's just a pie-in-the-sky idea, right? It's, it's a myth. It's just never going to happen, right? We say, I wish that I could win the lottery. But again, we know our odds are, you know, three billion, zillion, gillion, whatever, to one, right? So we use this word hope in English more like wish. And this is the reason why a lot of modern Bible translations have moved away from the word hope when the word exists in the Bible and they use the word confidence. Because when we say that we hope in the Lord, 
We are saying that our confidence in the, is in the Lord. When we say that we are hoping in the Lord, we are saying that we know that God is going to do what He has promised He is going to do. We are just waiting patiently for that event to occur. So biblical hope, this idea, doesn't really go much with our English word hope. It really has more to do with confidence, that we say that we are confident in the Lord and our hope is in Him and we place our confidence, our trust in Him in that way. So our first week, we talked about David, right? We did a psalm. And we talked about that when we, it's just a prelude to this idea of hope, is that hope really and anything that is good in our world must come from God. And we're going to talk a little bit about the nature of God today as well. Um, but when we talk about what is good and right in our world, that only that which is good comes from God. And David came to that realization that kingdoms and, you know, fortunes and women and success and fame, all these things do not have eternal value. They do not have the goodness and righteousness that comes from God. And then last week we talked about Hezekiah. I know that's also a little bit unusual, but that's okay. It's good to do some unusual folks, right? And the thing is, we talked last week about how if we're going to return to hope, and in the example that Hezekiah gave of a poem, right? Hezekiah had a downturn in his life. He realized that he was going to die. And so he wrote, after God healed him, and during that process he wrote a poem which expressed how all of what he believed about hope was really kind of false, right? Because he had been putting hope in his own effort. He had been putting hope um, in the success of his kingdom. Um, he believed in God. It wasn't that he wasn't a believer. It's just that, in fact, he was one of the best kings, if not the best king. But still, he realized that ultimately, only his relationship with God is where true hope comes from in his life. Well, today we're going to talk about Jeremiah. We're going to talk about a situation that occurred in his life, some ideas that he's going to talk about here. We're going to deal with the book of Lamentations also, um, which is a very interesting book. Um, so if you want to go ahead and turn there to Lamentations chapter 3, we're going to go ahead and jump right in here this morning, uh, starting in verse 19 through verse 26. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. It's going to be up on the Jumbotron as well. Either way is good with me. Lamentations 3. Um, 19 through 26. Okay, let's look, work down through this passage. Um, like last week, this is a somewhat difficult passage. It's not as difficult as last week, so don't worry. Um, but here's what Jeremiah says. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. If you hear last week, right, a lot of times in ancient poetry, it starts off with all the things that's wrong, right? The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. And remember, hope not in the sense of, hey, maybe it could happen, but hope meaning that I am aware and awaiting what God is going to do. I still dare to be confident, to be aware of what God is going to do when I remember this, right? Here's this Jack Black moment right here. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, right? The same word that David used, if you were here the first week, his portion. Therefore, I will hope, I will put my confidence, I will know that he is going to do what he says he's going to do in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord, right? Some of us are not good at waiting quietly, me being the first of the pack there. Um, but that is what Jeremiah says that we are to do. Wait quietly for the Lord. Well, let's talk about this, these issues real quickly. Three ideas, if you want to follow along in your handout this morning. Um, here's the really cool thing, is that God's love for us never ends. God's love for us never ends. Basically, what happens is, let me just pull up my text here so that I have it. 
um, is that Jeremiah has this moment, just like Jack Black in the video clip, right? I mean, basically, a lot of the people in the Bible, especially Hezekiah to a certain degree, Jeremiah to a certain degree, um, you know, they're, they're followers of Christ, right? It's not the fact that they are not believers in God. It's not the fact that they're not looking, in this case, because they both exist in the Old Testament, but it's not that they're not looking forward to what Christ is going to do. You know, as Job says, my Redeemer lives, and I know that one day he'll walk upon the earth. Right? It's not those things, but it's the thing is, is that as a believer, the question is, has he really built his hope and everything that he stands on, on God and what God is going to do, or is he simply building it on other things and simply, eh, shall we say, going about business as usual in his relationship with God? So the thing is, is that when we talk about here and we see that he has this moment um, in his mind, he has this moment in his thought process where he says what? He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness and all the things that I've struggled with, right? None of us here, I don't think, yet are homeless, even though the downturn in the economy, right, has not been kind to us and are suffering. And it's bitter, right? It's hard to go through these times. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to have confidence in God when I remember this thing, right? When I woke up, sitting there thinking, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Let's talk about this. Only something greater than ourselves can start hope. See, this is the issue, right? Because when we think about the things that we hope in, we never say something like, you know, Pastor, I hope that I get a Yugo one day, right? We never say that, man, I hope that if I go play the lottery, I get a dollar bill out of it, right? Do we ever say that? Do we ever say, and I'm going to be, no, I can't be that mean. How, do, how can I say that? Because it's a good one, but without being mean. I can do it this way. Do we ever say in high school, hey, I really hope the unpopular kid goes out with me and goes to prom with me, right? Do we say that? No, we don't say that, right? Why not? Why don't we say things like that? Why don't we put our hopes in things like that, even our wishes and things like that? Why? Because we always hope in something greater than ourselves, right? The interesting thing is that for us to really be able to acquire hope, to be able to really have any hope or any confidence, it's got to be something greater than ourselves. We put our hope in the mega, billion, million, whatever jackpot, right? Well, people out there do. They put their hope in that, right, because it's so much greater than them. They think if they win the jackpot, they win the Powerball, that their life is going to be what? totally different, right? If they marry the prom queen or the prom king, then their life is going to be what? Maybe really bad, but they think really awesome, right? They think it's going to be really great, right? And so the thing is that when we think of this idea of hope, we know in our hearts that hope has to be attached to something greater than ourselves, right? It's only something greater in our lives that can start hope. In the movie clip, we saw Jack Black think that, you know, one great rock show could change the world, right? The question is, is that what will cause us to change our lives? What is the great hope that will get us started in a way? Well, here's the thing. It's important to remember that Jeremiah is speaking in the context of already having a covenant, a real relationship with God, right? I mean, he's not speaking to people who don't have that relationship. He's speaking to people who already have that relationship with God, right? And so the thing is, is that even though he is a believer, he still has that time where he's frustrated. And he's troubled, and he's bothered by what's going on in the world, and he does what? He, even he has a return to hope in his life with the realization that only something greater, only that which is found in God, is going to be able to restore him to the confidence that he has 
in, his, in what God can do in his life, right? And that's the thing, because the problem is, is that if we talk about this, this series today and we think of it as being, you know, maybe this is for non-believers, it's really not, right? I mean, if you're a non-believer here today, you're welcome, it's awesome, it's great, but this is really talking to those people who already know God, right, and already have that relationship with Him and need to get back to believing in Him and even more than believing as we talked about last week, what, right? Not just believing, because the thing is, a lot of us have faith. I know that. The problem with our brokenness, a lot of times in America, in the Western church, is not faith, right? It's our hope, our confidence in who God is, right? And the fact that He wants to move in our lives, right? Our confidence level in God moving in our lives is small, but, on average, but, 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 we know that He is capable of doing it. Why? As we've talked about this week and the last couple weeks. Because He is greater than ourselves, right? He is more powerful, more good, more significant in every way than who we are, right? God's love for us is different than our love for God, right? See, this is, this is the problem. Because Jeremiah says here, let, let me just read it again. He says, and this is a foundational issue for us. I will never forget this awful time. You know, I still dare to hope, to have confidence when I remember this. That the faithful love of the Lord Never ends. His mercies never cease, right? See, the interesting thing is is that when we use this word love, too, it's also problematic because, again, we say we love the Raiders, we love the 49ers, we love this, we love that, right? And the problem is, is that our definition of love and our idea of love is very different. It is quite possible for us, as a general rule, to stop loving other people, right? Now, I know you go to divorce court. I mean, they probably have this on TV. Do they have like a Judge Wapner or whatever on TV for divorce court already? No. Okay. You go down the city. You can go to divorce court, right? You can see people get divorced, and you will say that they don't love each other anymore, right? And they will list that as reasons. We just don't love each other anymore. Maybe that's daytime drama or, uh, you know, uh, maybe even uh, friends. No. Well, friends, we're all single. Okay. That shows my cultural ignorance right there. Um, some TV show that involves married people who no longer love each other. How about that? Okay. All right, also dating myself very badly here. So the thing is, is that when we, when, we, when we talk about this issue, it's very easy for us as people to no longer love other people, to no longer love things. How is God fundamentally different than that? God is fundamentally different than that because He is not capable of stopping to love you or me. That's not a difference of degree. That's a difference of quality. Okay? We may say and we may think in our hearts that this person loves me more or less than I do. But when we think about that in relation to God, it doesn't compute because God is fully loving of us. And our love of God is so limited in comparison that it's a drop in the bucket at best of God's love for us. So God's love for us is different than our love for God. This is really critical, right? This is the thing that caused, or one of the things that caused Jeremiah's eyes to be open here is because he realized, you know what? That, 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 that it's, not just, it's, it's not just that I can do whatever I want and God will love me, but it's the fact that no matter what I do, that God's love is going to be completely loyal and completely faithful to who I am. And you know what? Even though he may not like some of the things I do, he may not be happy sometimes with things I do, but that his love still surrounds me in a way that I can't even imagine. In a way that is beyond my ability to really even be able to understand how greatly he loves me. Right? And when we think about this, and we think about that, 
How much hope or confidence does that instill in our lives? Let me give you an example. If you're married here this morning and your spouse comes up to you in the morning, if you're a morning person at night, if, if, if you're not, if you're a night person, do it at night. But your spouse comes up to you and puts their arms around you. I don't know what your love language is, but puts their arms around you, gives you a kiss and says, I really love you. Would that feel good? Okay. Yes. For those of you married, yes. The answer is yes. Okay. That would feel good, right? Okay. But yet, when God speaks to us in His Word and we feel, we feel His Holy Spirit in our lives, it is Him saying, I love you, far more powerfully than anything we could ever say to our spouse or our spouse could say to us, right? It's a love that defies all of that reason and all of that human emotion and, and gets to the core of who we are, right? You know, in fact, if we wake up and we realize that, that when, when our spouse speaks to us and says, honey, I love you, and then when God speaks to us and says, I have an eternal, loyal, faithful, mercy-never-ending love for you completely, ad infinitum, to the ends of the earth, how should that make us feel? I know that you're not answering me, and I know why. Because it's impossible to really wrap our minds around it, right? Which is why for, for, uh, for Jeremiah, it was like this liminal thought, right? It's this idea that comes into his mind because he can't, he's just processing things he can't believe it and it just it hits him like a flash right because it's we it's not something that we can really understand right i mean even here it's difficult because if we start trying to classify and taxonomize and and organize the love of god right we've already lost it because it's so powerful and exists so much in our lives as believers in the core of who we are that it is fundamentally different than our love for him that it is impossible for us to even really get our arms around. Oh yeah, I know, we can, we can, we can use, and, and I don't mean anything bad by this, but we can say Jesus loves us and God loves us and we can give examples and that sort of thing, but even that doesn't clarify, it doesn't really explain God's great love for us in that way because it's fundamentally different for us. The closest that we can get is talking about Easter, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, of course, that's, that's the closest example, but even that, I mean, we fully do not understand that love of God for us. It is beyond our ability to comprehend. And that's the reason why for many of us it hits us, boom, upside the head like a lightning bolt, right? And it causes us to get serious and return to hope and confidence in God. You know, in the original language, Jeremiah uses a word that means loyal and abiding love. It's a famous Hebrew word. People uh, do crazy word studies on it all the time. Um, it basically just means that, listen, God's love is fully abiding, fully loyal, fully committed to you all the time. It is something unlike we experience in this world because no one in our, in our world has the ability to be fully loyal, fully abiding, right? The best example is marriage. You know, when we say I do, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're committing our lives to another person, right? But with God, he's saying I do in a way that we, beyond what we can even understand. Second idea this morning is that God's mercies are renewable, right? The thing is that's cool about God is that his mercies are renewable. They're, they're unending, of course, again, it's important that we say that we're talking about believers here because His mercies for believers are unending. Uh, we'll t pick that up in just a second. But God's faithfulness is as complete as God is, right? We've talked about this a little bit in the past, but let me just hit on this again because this is really critical for us to understand. See, the problem is, is that when we look in the mirror, we see incomplete. When we look in the mirror, we see lack. We see loss. We see things that we wish we could have been. We see ways that we wish we could have done differently, right? We see something that we, it's not exactly there. And if you look in the mirror and you see something there, then you believe you're impressed and you need to start all over again. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Just start all over again, right? And the thing is, is that when we talk about God, he is 
far more complete than we are. In fact, the very nature of God as being holy is that he is complete and without need, right? So when we talk about faithfulness, it's kind of interesting because what is faithfulness? I mean, when we get right down to it, let's just break it down into the common way of using it. You know, when we talk about being faithful, we talk about being trustworthy, right? I know that biblically it's, it has some different spin on it at times, but we talk about being trustful. We talk about being there for us, right? I mean, if we just use it in a very simple sense, just to paint the picture here, right? The thing is, is that God is always there, always faithful, always trusting, always ready to back us up at every single time, right? Hey, here's a crazy thing, right? What does that do to our hope, due to our confidence? You know, if you've ever done, like, in 1986 when it was cool, right? If you've ever done the, the thing where you, you let your spouse fall back, right, and you catch them, you know what I'm talking about, right? You have one spouse that stands here or one business team member and they fall backwards, right? And the person catches them, right? And it's kind of really cliched now. And when I see it on TV, I cringe because I'm like, that was so, you know, 1986 or whatever year it was, right? And so the thing is, is that it's all about what? Why do they do that, that silly exercise? To demonstrate trust, right? To demonstrate faithfulness, that if the person catches the person, then you can have some trust in them. So let me ask a question then. How many times do you have to fall before you're willing to trust God? See, that's the problem, right? Because as people, our world smacks us around, and when we fall, we think maybe God's not going to be there. And you know what? If God really is there, and we know He's there, and He's proven He's going to be there, as He does because... He's completely faithful all the time, never misses, never misses a beat, right? He's always there, always catches us. What should that do to our level of confidence and hope in what he has in store for our lives here on earth? I mean, when the Bible tells us to go out and share the gospel with people, right? And we're worried that someone's going to knock us down. Who cares? There's someone to catch us, right? Someone who's there, right? You know, even more importantly, is that as we go through life, and we talked, to, the last series we did was on market conditions, and we talked about the economy and just, and just, uh, just kicking us in the rear end and just really, uh, you know, just being a bad time right now. And yet, at the same time, when we allow our lives to be built on God and we fall backwards in our lives, then what happens? Does He let us go or does He catch us? Exactly. And in fact, the problem is it's not even an issue of catching us, right? Because he's always there. He's like, and in, in my mind, he's almost like doing this. All, okay, if I'm falling backwards, right, he's almost like this every time, you know, just eternally right here. He's already got it, right? He's already got us. But the problem is, is that what do we do? When we fall, we do what? A lot of times we fall and we know he's there, but we don't really know he's there, so we don't trust he's there. So we try to, we try to do what? You know, I'm going to fall in the next service, I know. And we, we, we try to twist and turn to catch ourselves, right? And when in the end, what do we do? We fall flat our face, right? Because we're trying to catch ourselves rather than allow God to work into our lives. See, because God doesn't have limited resources, he doesn't have to limit what he can give. This is the problem because every single one of us here has limited resources in every capacity of our lives. We are limited. We are limited. We are limited. We are finite we are limited. We cannot fully love. We cannot fully trust. We cannot fully be faithful. We cannot fully be merciful. But God is the complete opposite of that because he can be fully merciful, fully faithful, fully trusting, fully loving. 
fully complete in every way, right? That's what makes God God, and that's what makes us people, right? Because God is complete and we are not. So because God doesn't have limited resources, he doesn't have to limit what he can give, right? He doesn't have to catch you eight out of ten times. He doesn't have to catch you nine out of ten times. He can catch you ten out of ten times. He can catch you a hundred out of a hundred times. He can catch you, and just make up the number here, a gazillion times out of a gazillion times, right? That's what he can do. That's what he wants to do for those of us with whom he has a covenant. You know, we talk about, uh, I just because I used the word renewable, re, okay, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that very well. Because we, I use the word renewable, right? We talk about renewable resources and, and all this sort of thing. And the problem with renewable is that what? Is that you're always sort of got to get more, right? But it keeps coming back, right? And so when we talk about God, God is infinitely renewable, right? He's not renewable when the sun is up and it can charge his battery, right? But during the, the rest of the time, his battery runs down. During nighttime, his battery runs down. No, God is constantly, instantly renewing because he is the source of it, right? I mean, if, if you really think about this as, as a situation of power for a second, I mean, when we talk about it, the, God is beyond the sun in his power and capacity to fully fulfill our lives and our dreams and complete us and allow us to be the person that he intended to be. Not few sitters, not folks just kind of meh, you and I and just meh, figuring out what's going on, but to be fully engaged in building our kingdom here, his kingdom, not our kingdom, that's the problem, his kingdom here on earth. The one limit seems to be for people seeking God, right? So you want to know what the limit, you want to know what the caveat is? Here's the caveat right here. See, God says this, he says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease, right? Because he is always merciful. When we make mistakes, he's always there to catch us. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him, right? That's really the caveat there because the problem is, is that if we're not seeking God, if we're not dependent on God, then when we go and we fall, right, I don't know what happens. That's a big theological discussion, but I do know that at some point that God allows us to just fall flat on our face or our back or our head or whatever the case may be, right? Because the problem is, is that we have given ourselves over to completely trusting in ourselves. Someone who is, by the way, trustworthless. Trustless. Trustworthless. Trustworthless. Can I say that? It's not an English word, but does it work? Trustworthy, trustworthless, right? So for us who are completely trustworthless, not able, untrustworthy. How about that? That's better English, right? For those of us who are untrustworthy, right? I still like trustworthless better because it sort of gives me more the idea that I want. I'm going to invent, make some words up here. If we are trustworthless, right, not able to be trusted in and of ourselves, right, the problem is, is that we also are tempted to see God that way. But if we are just seeking after him, right, that's the really cool thing here because, you know, when you think about it, the Bible doesn't say that God's mercies are fresh every morning if you've already arrived, if you're perfect, if you make over $50,000 a year, if you, whatever the case may be, right? It's for those who seek and depend upon him, right? Because that is the nature of trust. That is, gets to the heart of what mercy is, right? That gets to the trust, the loyal love that God has for us, right? And so here's the crazy thing. God's saying, listen, Jeremiah's saying this. I realize that if I want to live my life for the Lord, that I have to go to seminary. 
I have to sit in church every Sunday. I have to do whatever the pastor says. I have to wear the right clothing. I have to make enough money. I have to be smart enough, right? Okay, all those are false, right? We clear on that? All those are false, right? Because for us to be able to allow God to work in our lives, it means that we have to seek and depend upon Him. That's it. Hey, you know what's really cool about that? You know what's really cool? We don't have to be perfect. We just have to try. Right? The problem and the reason why we do Easter and hope every Easter is why? Because many of us have given up trying. I know it. Even at BBC, BBC is an extraordinary church in many ways, but even here, some of us have given up hope. We don't have the confidence as we step out and do what God calls us to do that it will really make a difference. And that, my friends, is a lie. It's a lie. It's all it is. Third idea, real quickly here this morning, is that God's salvation is available for all of us. See, here's the really cool thing, is that, uh, and I'm going to use this, define this two different ways here this morning. Because then Jeremiah goes and he says, you know, he says, The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord, right? I don't really, I'm not really good at waiting quietly on anything. It's a, it's a problem of mine. Some of you are in my boat. Some of you are very quiet, and that's awesome, right? You're, you're six years ahead of me, six leagues ahead of me, something, right? Way ahead of me, right? And so, um, but God's salvation is available to all. It's something that we quietly wait on from the Lord, as Jeremiah says. Here's the question, then. Why should we wait quietly for salvation? Why should we wait quietly for salvation? Shouldn't we demand, that may be too strong, shouldn't we cry out for salvation? Well, remember that Jeremiah is speaking poetically here, but let's give some ideas. It is critical that we remember that according to the Bible, salvation is not life after death. That's not what salvation is, right? I know that's what church culture teaches, right? That uh, you come up front, you get your card, you, you, you know, when you die, you give St. Peter the card, you enter into the pearly gates, and you're good, right? I mean, you know, that's your monopoly, you know, don't pass, go, go directly to heaven card, right? But it's critical that when Jeremiah calls us to quietly wait upon the Lord, what he means more than anything else is not life after death in that sense, not the little stairway to heaven with, you know, angels' wings and naked babies floating through cloudy skies and that sort of thing, right? But this is that so much more than that. It is our complete restoration starting now that culminates in our dwelling in God's house. That's what salvation is. And so when we wait quietly on God, what is He doing to us? Is, is, he, is, he, is he ignoring us? Well, that's what our lack of hope or lack of confidence is. Instead, God is doing what? That when we seek Him and we depend upon Him, that He is quietly, and we are doing it quietly in the sense that we are, we are anxious and we are listening and we are, we are hoping and we are depending and we are seeking, right? doesn't mean that we can't seek loudly. doesn't mean that we can't seek broadly, right? But it's the fact that we are just out there just depending upon Him and that He is constantly rebuilding, restoring, redoing our lives and our hearts and our souls and our minds in the image of Christ, right? That's what it comes down to. Salvation starts today when we believe. It continues throughout our entire life from a biblical perspective. And it culminates when we sit at God's banqueting table, right? But salvation is not something that we gain just one day and then we move on and that's it, right? 
Uh, I know that's popular in church culture, but salvation is something that we take hold of when we accept Christ, but then it constantly redoes and rechanges our lives, right? In the old days, we called that sanctification. That's also part of that. But the Bible doesn't have strict lines like that. That's the problem with the Bible, right? We try to cut it up, slice it, dice it, right? But it doesn't do that. It doesn't like to be done that way. Why? Because God wants us to sit there and be dependent on Him, not figure Him out, not solve Him, right? So here's the question. The question is, can we live our lives that way? Can we return to hope, believing in Him and confident that He is who He's going to be and that He's going to do something in our lives? Because every single one of us here has the ability, has the, has the wherewithal, has the mercies of God and the blessing of God to go out and change the world. Are you going to do it or are you going to stay pre-Jeremiah's thought here, pre-Jack Black, pre-Hezekiah, pre-David, stay in the pew, right? And just have a little bit of faith, but not really much else. That's really the question, the challenge. You know what? Here's the cool thing as we get ready to approach Easter is that salvation is not just for us, but also for our neighbors as well. I I resist the word putting world in there because there are some theological issues with that word. But uh, you know what? When we go out and share the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members, you know, they have the opportunity to also, and by the way, they need Uh, Many of them want it, but all of them need it. To know that there is a God who is faithful, there's a God who they can trust. You know, we live in a world where there's not a lot of trust and not a lot of faithfulness and not a lot of anything, right? And so if they are able to understand that God loves them and wants to have that relationship with them, and that all He's asking them to do is seek Him, right? Just seek Him, depend upon Him, turn to Him, right? You know what? It's just so easy. Most people, though... Their minds, their hearts have been confused, have been turned away by the God of this world, Second Corinthians says, you know, and that's okay because you, when you go out and you have the confidence that God is who He says He is and that God has your back, you know what, that confidence, that love, that faith spills over into the conversation, spills over into your life, right? You know, when, when you talk to people about God, when you live your life for Jesus, right, it's not that there won't be some some fear or there won't be some some hesitancy or some doubt, you know, because those things are natural, but there should be an abiding confidence and trust that when God calls you to speak, that when God calls you to act, that God is asking you to do it. He's wanting you to do it because He has that mercy, He has that faith, He has that love, He has all those things supporting you all the days of your life, right? That when you go out, you're not going out alone. That when you pray for someone, you're not praying alone. That when you speak to someone, you're not speaking alone. That when you do all of these things, when you live your life seeking and depending upon God, that you are not doing it alone. You know, if it's something so small as asking you to usher or greet her, something so small as to ask you to go out and give food to the homeless, something so small as to ask you to, to, to volunteer with Community Pregnancy Center, Something so small as that, it is easy. Not because it's our abilities that we're worried about. It's easy because we know that God will support us throughout the entire process and that He is there. That's the reason why today the church in the West has given up, gone home, and died. Laid down to die. Because it doesn't have the hope and the confidence that God can do something in your life and my life and in this body of Christ, not this building, but us people, to transform our world. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Father, and we ask that you would restore and return to us 
a confidence in who you are that, Father, we, as we cry out to you, Lord, that you would allow us to see that you are the God who has our back. Lord, that if we can return to hope in you, Father, that you would encourage us and allow us to live our lives according to your plan and that we would get out there and make a difference. Father, we just pray this morning that you would make that confidence happen in our lives. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.